lot of things in life involve trade-offs, right? Where we exchange something that you know we have decided is of greater value for some other thing. So, for example, you know, common one is you might choose a different job with. Welcome back. Ruben. Whole lot of plane, or what? I've been here the whole time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Last time I thought about you, you were still in the building. Uh, anyway, so you know, somebody might, might choose a, a different job with better hours, even though the wages aren't as high. Because let's face it, first shift is way better than third shift, even if the third shift differential is a lot more than hours. Or since today is uh, Taylor Bowl Sunday, I mean Super Bowl Sunday, um, think about the college draft. Which team gets the first pick in the draft? Whoever, right? Whoever's got the worst record, right? Which this year I guess is the Carolina Panthers, two and fifteen. Ouch. Who gets the last pick? Whoever wins Super Bowl, right? But my guess is there's no team in the NFL that would trade a Super Bowl win to have a first round draft pick. In fact, that first round draft pick might not be the best choice when you consider that the guy who is quarterbacking the 49ers this afternoon, Mr. Brock Purdy from... Mr. Relevant. Uh, Mr. Relevant, <laughs> exactly, from our beloved university in Ames, Iowa State, was the absolute last pick of the 2022 draft. And here he's been the quarterback in the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Trade-offs. Well, Paul today in Colossians 3 is going to begin to talk about trade-offs. And it's a trade-off between an old life and a new life. Old ways of thinking and acting for new ways of thinking and acting. And this is going to be a two-parter because we'll cover the first half of that today, the bad part. Or the worldly part, or the ugly part. This is always one of those, you know, the, the middle of Colossians is like a, a good news, bad news kind of thing. There's the bad part first, then there's the good part. Now remember the end of chapter 2, we talked about how rules are not really helpful. <clears throat> Sometimes they're hurtful. Sometimes they look like earthly wisdom. Right? Because they're easy to judge by, we've got a bunch of rules. They allow us to evaluate other people by outward appearances. But what ends up happening is they lead us to legalism and really end up making no difference in what matters to God. Because our legalisms, they allow us to judge without knowing what God knows, which is the heart. And then they allow us to feel better about ourselves, right? If we're somehow, ah, oh, we're better than those people because we don't do this and they do that kind of thing. And so we kind of challenged ourselves to think about things we believe and maybe, you know, use those, when we use those things to judge other people, consciously or otherwise, to ask ourselves, are those things really of Jesus? Or are they just maybe a conviction I might hold? Or maybe they're just rules I grew up with. Like women had to wear skirts to church. Just a rule I grew up with. That's not in the Bible. That's not in Jesus. But then we left ourselves with the question, so what should we do? How should I put into practice when Paul talks about looking only to Jesus? We're not to be captive to any sort of worldly philosophies or legalisms or rules or anything like that. So what should we do? Because it's easy to say what not to do, but we need to know what we should do. 
And so last week we saw in the first part of chapter 3 that Paul told us we're to, to replace our legalisms and our worldly thinking and all those things by setting our minds on things above. Focusing on heavenly things. On spiritual, on heavenly, on Christ-like things. And I'm going to argue that the rest of chapter 3 is pretty much a commentary on what does it look like in practical, everyday, live-in-your-life terms to set your minds on things above. And of course, as you might have guessed, in practical terms, there'll be a trade-off. There's some things we can stop doing and trade different things we should be doing. Now, I had a great conversation with Clark last week where he told me that when he was a younger man, and you notice I said younger, still young, just younger than he is now. He and a friend uh, had memorized Colossians 3 because they felt it contained the most concise description of what it means to kind of live the Christian life on a day-to-day -day basis. And I thought that was a really great assessment of this chapter. Because it begins, right, with telling us where to focus our minds on things above. And then it's going to go through practically what that means. What that means for our old or our worldly ways, which is today's message. And then moves on to how we should live as followers of Jesus who have set our minds on things above. So the first thing we're going to learn today is that we are to put to death all worldly things. Let's look at the first part of Colossians 5, or Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in us, what is worldly. The first part of our trade-off is to put to death earthly or worldly things. Now you notice, when Paul says this, it's a command, right? It says, put to death, tell us to do something. For some reason, I noticed certain versions as I was preparing for this, translate this in a passive way. And sometimes your version could say, consider your earthly members dead to whatever. That, that's a really poor translation. Okay, it's, it's definitely, in the original text, it's an imperative, it's a command. We're being told to do something, and that something is that we're to put to death whatever is worldly or earthly in our lives. Now, when it says something like that, I'm reminded that we need to keep in our heads that living in Christ's likeness is a cooperative process, right? There are things we have to do. There are things God has done and is doing. So if God sent Jesus to conquer sin and death and the devil through his death and resurrection. You couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. I couldn't save ourselves. So God sent Jesus. God applies that work of Jesus to our lives when we change our earthly allegiance to a heavenly one by putting our faith in Christ, by choosing to follow him. God does that part for us. Then, to help in our growth, God sends his Holy Spirit into our hearts to enable and empower us to follow Jesus and to live that new life that he has given us through Christ. So he does the work to get us new life, he sends his spirit to give us the power to live that new life. And then God has given us his written word so that we can know not only about what Jesus has done and what the spirit will do and know about the hope that we have in God's future plans for our resurrection and the return of Jesus, but his word also tells us the things he actually does require and gives us complete guidance on how to live a way that's God-honoring, Christ-like, best for us in this world that's surrounded by sin and corruption. 
So in other words, God has, through Jesus, through the Spirit, and it is written the Word, given us everything we need for all spiritual things. And you don't have to take my word for that. Just look at what Peter writes. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, that's Jesus, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, he those in the Bible, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This God provides everything you need to make this happen. But here's the kicker. Here's the catch. God cannot and will not do the things that we're supposed to do. God is not going to study his written word for us. He, he already knows. He's got it figured out. He's not going to set our minds on things above for us. He told us to do that. He's not going to do the things he tells us to do. Which means he is not going to put to death all the worldly things in our lives. Through Jesus' death, we are freed from having to be subject to him. Right? He freed us, Romans 6, from sin and from death. And through his spirit, we can have the power to slay all those worldly things. He's already given us, given us everything we need. But the application of those things is up to us. It's something we have to do. We have to obey the command to put them to death. Earthly or worldly or whatever you want to call them, those things have been sentenced to capital punishment and we need to execute them without prejudice. Now lest we not know exactly what those things are, because that sounds kind of general, right? Worldly, earthly, or whatever you call them. Paul carefully tells us exactly what he means. What are worldly things? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Paul's going to tell us in the next part of Colossians. Go back, chapter, chapter 3, starting again at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. I got another drink because after you say the word covetousness a couple times. So when Paul is talking about worldly things, okay, he's not saying you can't come to a Super Bowl party and cheer on your favorite team, eat some food. He's not saying that's how I feel about Super Bowl party. <laughs> <laughs> he's not saying you cannot own a nice car and get a nice vacation. When we think worldly, we often tend to think of activities or stuff. And that can be worldly. Stuff can be part of it. If you're willing to do some of the things that Paul listed there to acquire stuff, or if stuff is more important to you than following Jesus, yeah, the stuff is a problem. But most likely, none of us are, are going to be called to renounce all material things and activities and go live in a monastery and follow the rules of St. Benedict. Although there are some days when the monastery does sound not so bad. <laughs> Quiet, at least. Right? That's what we like. Me, anyway. I, see, I can read books all day. No, what Paul's talking about here is simply all those things God calls sin. 
Now, I know sin is not a word in our culture that we talk much about anymore. Because we live in a time where in our culture everything is permissible. In fact, it's not just permissible, it's accepted. And calling anything sin is considered intolerant and unloving. And I get that. That's the world we live in. But I don't, and I don't think I need to go through the list one by one for us to get the picture. Notice that the sins listed here are things that in general are harmful or break relationships. You see, God is very concerned with how we relate to both him and one another. That is his huge concern, right? Why else would the two greatest commandments be to love God and love your neighbor? He wasn't so concerned with how we relate to him and how we relate to one another. He's very concerned about that. It's a big thing for God. Think about when sin originally enters the world in the fall, what happens? Our relationship with God is damaged, broken. Our relationships with one another are broken. Think about it. You got, right in chapter 3 after the fall, you got marital strife. By chapter 4, you have murder. It didn't take long. Murder is kind of the ultimate violation of relationship, right? Because if someone murders you, they will definitely, there's no relationship anymore. That's how fast it went down. Jesus' work is to reverse all of that by restoring our relationship with God and providing all we need for healthy relationships with one another. And so the sins that are listed here are, are things that occur in the world and relationships between people. Sexual sins. We live in a world where anything goes. You even question that as to be a judgmental bigot. Coveting. It's just another way of saying unrestricted desire for things. Right? Material things, fame, power, whatever. He calls it idolatry because it means we worship something and put something of first importance other than Christ, which damages our relationship with Christ. If you love stuff more than Jesus, then that's going to hurt your relationship with Jesus. Anger, malice, slander, lying. They're all things that destroy relationships, right? Also, they're things that they don't reflect Jesus in any way. I mean, is Jesus, is Jesus angry? Are you sure Jesus is angry? No. I mean, unless you're a religious leader who has traded God for gain and he needs to drive you out of the temple. But I mean, other than that, you don't see an angry Jesus. He's Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I mean, you picture Jesus slandering somebody or lying about someone? Of course not. That's not what Jesus would do. It's unthinkable. And so anything that's sin, and when Paul gives a list, okay, don't, those lists aren't meant to be exhaustive, they're meant to be representative, right? Okay, there might be some other thing that's sin that's not on the list that doesn't mean, oh, well, that one's not on Paul's list, I can do that one.
Now, I mentioned that our culture doesn't talk about sin very much, and even if we believe much in sin anymore, to be honest. And that attitude sometimes, I mean, it infects the church. But the reason Paul is so keen at pointing out how sin is real, how serious it is, and why it needs to be put to death is because, because of sin, God will judge the world. Verse 6, on account of these, these sins, the wrath of God is coming. You know, I clearly woke up this morning and wanted trouble. Because first I talked about sin, and now I'm going to talk about wrath. <laughs> and those are two topics that you just don't talk about in church much anymore. I just must have woke up not liking myself. We're under wrath now. Of course, the mantra of the modern church rises off of this. God is, look, God is so much love that he would never judge anybody. Here, Paul comes right out in words that I really do not know how else you can interpret when he lists some sinful things and then says, On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. To other than understand that there's going to be some wrath. God's holy. And I've said many times that the proper place to start with God is his holiness. Now, that doesn't mean God isn't love, because he is, because the scriptures also say that. So don't, don't go home now and say to your friend, Pastor Orville will talk about God's holiness and he doesn't care about God's love. No, obviously that's not true. But holiness is where you got to start. His absolute purity and his separation from all sin. And this holiness means that he's going to judge sin. His wrath in the Bible is not some angry, retributive, punishing of bad people just at random because he's angry and he just wants to keep people up with <laughs> it is necessary because he has to respond to the cosmic treason that sin is against his holy perfection, as well as the harm that sin causes between his creatures whom he loves. Sin makes God wrathful, makes him angry against sin. Not against you, against sin. Because it's an offense to him and his holiness, but it's also harmful between people. And since he loves his creatures, he sent Jesus to reconcile us to himself and to simultaneously satisfy his wrath against sin. While at the same time, being the one who lovingly takes the punishment in our place. See, no one has to suffer any wrath. Christ died, so anybody that places their faith in him receives mercy, grace, and forgiveness. And is completely reconciled to God through Christ. 
That's God. But you know what? Not everybody's willing to do that. And the mark of the unreconciled soul is they will continue in the things that God calls them. They won't have any desire to change. For those who are trapped under the worldly system and sexual immorality and lying and coveting and all these other sins, those, those things are part of the force. It's a normal way. They're normal for those who don't know Jesus. Because of these things, Paul tells us God is going to someday judge the world. In fact, one of the reasons that we are to put to death all of these things, all of our sin, is we are providing very real contrast to the world in its ways. Look what Paul says in the sister letter to the Colossians, Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, you may be put to death, all these things, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do we shine as lights in the world? In this world that's crooked and twisted? By living lives that are blameless and innocent. In other words, lives that put to death the sins that the world loves. Instead, living like Jesus in thought, word, and especially deed. Now, I get that all this talk of sin and judgment is kind of depressing. This is probably why some people don't talk about it. And I get that, that. I also get that it leads to all sorts of questions, right? Okay, about people who grew up with horrible circumstances and have had horrible things done to them. I get that too. There's people who have immeasurable pain in their lives. People who live. What about the people who live in the remote village in the Amazon? Well, that's what we have weeds for. But, <laughs> you know, I saw this video about these spiders that live in the, and apparently they're very common, and they live in the Amazon jungle. It's okay, Cheryl, they live in the Amazon. They're not here. It's all right. Obviously, Cheryl's not a spider. <laughs> um, called wandering spiders. And apparently, they're all over the Amazon, and apparently, they're extremely deadly to humans. And I'm just thinking, Thank you, God, that I've been called to see you for a while. Praise God. It's been all blessings for us. There's a video on TikTok that I wanted to know. That's where I saw it. Yes, that's where I saw it. It was on Instagram, yeah. And I was like, now i got one more thing i got to pray for. Father, you've got the wandering spiders wandering into the weeds. Right. No spiders. Right, all these questions. And there's answers to those questions that we won't get to this but I think it's really important to point out that whatever situation somebody finds themselves in, your friends, you, anybody, whatever, when it comes to following Jesus, it is never too late. It's never too late. Say it with me. It's never too late. Verse 7. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them. Paul reminds the Colossians that all these sins he's listed... They were ways that the Colossians had once lived. In fact, they're ways that almost anyone has lived. And to some degree, probably still live. The Colossians were probably still struggling with these things, right? Why else would Paul tell them they once lived this way, but then also tell them to stop living this way if they weren't struggling with living that way? Right? It would have been kind of superfluous to say, 
you once lived this way, you don't need more, then why would I have to tell you to put to death these things? He has to tell them to put to death these things, so they're still struggling with them. See, we get it in our heads, I think, sometimes, that the early church just really had it all figured out what was going on. And I'm going to tell you, when I read stuff like that, it tells me, no, the early church was like us. They struggled. We all struggled. We got problems. We got sins. The Colossians believed in Jesus, and they were still struggling with lying and covetousness and blah, 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 or whatever else. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have had to tell them to stop. We don't tell you to stop doing things that you're not doing. Nobody has to tell me to stop eating raisins. It's not going to happen. It never will. Okay? So Paul was writing me a letter. He wouldn't say, put to death raisins. Because I wouldn't eat raisins. There's no need for it. Point is, even after we've confessed Christ, sometimes there are things we still need to do to be more like Him. Not everything... You come and you put your faith and trust in Christ. It's not like you wake up the next day and you have no more struggles. In fact, you might have more struggles. You know why? Because the day before you put your faith and trust in Christ, you didn't even really feel bad maybe about your sin. And now you wake up and you put your faith and trust in Christ and the Holy Spirit's sitting there going, by the way, you should probably work on it. This also gives us hope. See, I think there's a ton of hope right here. Because it clearly tells us it's never too late to start. It is never too late to start following Jesus. It is never too late to follow Jesus, no matter what any of us have done in the past. And it's never too late to follow Jesus by putting to death whatever sin it is and become more like Jesus wherever you're at right now sitting in this room. It's never too late.
plenty of room for everybody, for every one of us to grow. And that's the amazing thing. We can all grow more. Now next week we're going to get uh, to see kind of what we do after we put off those things, right? That's the first part of the trade-off, put to death. It's going to tell us what to put on next week. All sorts of positive things. But wherever anybody stands today, it literally is not too late to take another step, to move on. If you're here this morning and you have never, ever admitted that you've sinned, and you've never confessed your need to the Savior Jesus and put your faith in Him, it is not too late. You can do that this morning. You can confess your need for Christ and you can put your faith in Him. You can do it now. Do it today. Now you may have questions. I get that. You may not understand everything. Yeah, that's okay. If you know in your heart that you need to put, take and put your life into Jesus' nail-pierced hands, then don't delay. We'll worry about the questions later. But don't delay. And maybe you trusted Jesus, but there are things that you, you need to put to death. Don't delay. Do it now. Confess those things to Jesus and ask him to empower you by his spirit to put those sins to death so you can be a shining light. The mind that is set on things above is a mind that's going to want to put to death all the worldly things that keep us from a full and deep relationship with Jesus. And that mindset of things above has been a desire to live through him and in him and for him in all things. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that it's never too late. Wherever anybody, you, any, the person who has never put their faith and trust in you, to the person who has walked with you for decades, we can always move forward. We can always be closer to Jesus. We can always put something to death. We can confess Christ